Welcome to another episode of Guy Live B2B Jam Session. To bring us in, man, I'm going to play some Kanye West. Some Kanye West, his newest track, his latest track. Man, watch this in the blood. Huge Kanye fan. Huge, huge Kanye fan. <laughs> so I'm going to play him, and then I'm going to bring on my amazing, amazing, amazing guest for the day, Manuel McQuaida. But let's jam a little bit to Kanye. And let me know who you're tuning in from. Good morning, Oakland. Mr. West in the building. Hey, Hope. What's up, Hope? Super excited. Super excited for today's guest. So today we have a super, super awesome episode. My first guest, man, this is a guy that, one, we've been following for quite some time. Love so much of the work that he does around preaching and, and practicing, and more importantly, living the circular economy. Today, I have on my lovely guest, Manuel McQuaida, who is the CEO and co-founder of Super. Super is a nonprofit helping businesses eliminate single-use plastics through a tiered certification program. Get your business super certified, know to lower your cost, gain competitive advantage, and do the right thing. And more importantly, this is someone that lives and preaches the circular economy, which is Mary I'm super passionate about. He actually also teaches about this at UC Berkeley, which is right around the corner from Oakland. <laughs> so super excited. If you're in the building, Oakland, show us some love. In addition to that, if you are in the building, Berkeley, show us some love. And with that said, let me bring on my phenomenal friend, Manuel. Manuel, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing great. Love Man, that you played candy. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, I miss Oakland. I lived there for six years and I miss the vibe and, and all the good stuff and, and the rap. And, yeah. you know, in my neighborhood, I didn't, I didn't need to have a stereo to listen to rap. All the cars driving by, you know, the right. whole house will shake with the, with the beats. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the things that I love about Oakland, man. There's such a powerful community here that loves One Hip Hop, which is a, a, a timeless staple for me. But, man, I would love for you to share a little bit more about, because you have such a dynamic background, and you've been one of the leaders, I believe, in the circular economy for quite some time. You've written books about it. You're building a company that actually practices what you what you build. You know, let us know a little bit about what, what got you passionate about this work. Oh, man. Well, it's it just... Uh, realizing how our economy is not going to work, no matter what they tell you. They say, okay, well, uh, we're going to make it more sustainable. This year, we're going to be using more renewable energy and better, less toxic chemicals and whatever. Like, the, you keep hearing that. And that's the conversation about um, uh, efficiency. You know, how can we make the Titanic, uh, the sinking of the Titanic more efficient so it gives us more time? You know, and um, or how can we get a longer runway if we're not going to be able to lift off anyway? So it's changed the conversation from, you know, where culture does really well, which is to to do to bring more efi efficiency to processes and stuff like that. And how can we turn it into effective? Like ecosystems are effective; they create value for thousands of years, regenerating constantly, and. 
increasing the biodiversity. How can we do that? As humans, how can we participate in an economy that is regenerative and nurtures life and nurtures people? And, uh, you know, I, I didn't see anywhere that conversation. It was just this conversation about sustainability, which is flabby and, and, yeah. and um, full of, of greenwashing. And that's what get me, got me excited to how can I change my tune? Uh, how can I go from saying no to all the things we're doing wrong to saying yes to something that we could all be doing. Hmm. You know, and it's so powerful too, because I think a lot of people often talk about sustainability, but then there's an implementation of what sustainability looks like within a local ecosystem, a broader market ecosystem, and even at a global level. You know, we'd love for you to share a little bit about, you know, how do you think it's important for, you know, leaders such as ourselves and people who really care about the health of their community, especially in times like this, to invest yeah. in how they think about circular economy and bring it to their local communities? All right. Well, Times like this can be um, very paralyzing or very dynamic, depending on how we look at them. You know, um, a lot of it is, has to do with going from a reactive mm. paradigm, which is something that gets like on hyperdrive, like really activated when there's a danger and there is a um, crisis and there is um friction and all the things that we're experiencing so we get hyper vigilant and we get um very in the reactive and that is really uh, i don't want to insult monkeys but that's kind of our monkey brain you know it's um yeah. sorry monkeys uh, but you know what i mean it's really the frontal lobe of our brain which is short term um you know quick labeling of things uh, and it's really reactive and i think you know, Buckminster Fuller said, um, you don't change a system, you build a system that makes the other system obsolete. And that's creativity. So I think that's what we need in these times is to really tap into envisioning, envisioning new stuff. And starting that in whatever shape or form, rather than trying to take the old stuff and tweak it, let's try and envision new stuff. Even if it's small, if it's a pilot, if it's a prototype, if it's just an idea, but let's put our minds together and let's also learn about new stuff that is happening because there's a critical mass of new things that are happening. And, and that's the kind of mental hygiene that nobody tells you about during COVID. They say, wash your hands, wear a mask. Well, uh, yeah, that's going to keep your uh, body healthy and it's going to help not spreading this thing, but what about your mind? What kind of uh, hygiene do we need so that we don't uh, get involved in the spirals of reactiveness? Yeah, no, it's so powerful you're saying that too, because one of the things, you know, personally, I've become more mindful of in the last few years is how am I treating my local community? You know, even been in Oakland, Oakland is literally almost, you walk out the street, it's a wasteland sometimes because we still have a huge issue around, you know, helping people who live in low income and, and, and are, are struggling through poverty. And I think a lot of people often forget about what is the subjective thing that you can do just day to day incrementally to make sure that you're not throwing trash on the ground, or more importantly, that you're thinking about ways to buy biodegradable products or how are you creating that local home within your 
within your community where you're using organic material and all of these different things. And that goes a long way just at a micro level. And, you know, I love what you're saying, too, because so many people completely forget about that. It's not something that they actually proactively learn. Right. <clears throat> yeah, it's about uh, not only it's part of the think uh, reactivity. Ultimately, it's thinking, OK, well, someone out there is going to you know, have a solution for these things. And mm. it's what in economy you call, you call it the moral hazard. Mm. It's the idea that, that somebody else is going to solve the problem. And when you decide to take it to your micro level of, okay, okay, my house, all right, with my limitations, my budget, my time, all of the constraints, how can I do things differently? Start mm. with something small. And usually that becomes a portal. And the portal, I mean, it's not that we're going to measure the, you know, the kilos of waste you're saving, which is important, but it's a portal for your mind to start thinking differently, to start seeing the interconnectedness of everything. You know, during years and years of doing this type of work, I have met a lot of people, you know, and that come to me and said, you know, when I saw your website or whatever, or went to one of the talks, I, I made this little change and you know what? I stopped using plastic bags, for instance. And they say, well, I realized that whenever I would go to the store and ask them, please not wrap this in plastic or not give me plastic bags, that was the first time of me asking for something in my community. Uh, I realized I started paying attention to everything that came in plastic. So I learned how to make my own mayonnaise. I realized that I was paying more money and I started saving money. And, but then, so it becomes a portal, my cosmetics, I changed completely my cosmetics and now I'm healthier and, you know, it's amazing. It becomes a portal and you start interconnecting everything and feeling empowered and talking and connecting. And that's another thing that we need for a, for a circular economy. And that's one of the big challenges. I mean, systems thinking is one piece, but then collaboration is the other big challenge. There's no way you're going to solve this um, if we don't collaborate across the board. And, and that's the other big challenge that our minds and our beliefs don't, are not conducive, conducive to collaboration at the scale that we need to be collaborating. Yeah, man, it's so powerful, man, because it's, we, you know, whenever I hear you talk about it and I've heard and I've seen your, 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 your speak, um, your keynotes, it's, it's, we need a mindset shift in the world. <laughs> at a grander scale and at a local scale, I want you to share a little bit more about the amazing companies and people that you serve um, through your company, Super Plastic, and how you guys are actually leading this future and actually collaborating with people. Uh, well, the idea for Super, um, which stands for Single Use Plastic Elimination or Reduction, if anybody is thinking about the name and why, I mean, it's a cool name. It's <clears throat> um, <laughs> dope. Only the guys who have Hyper or Uber <laughs> are above us, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but um, this came from, you know, um, years and years of talking about plastic pollution. And at a time where no, that was not an issue, nobody talked about it, nobody knew about it. And people were like, what? And it seems hard to believe now, but only 10 years ago, that was totally the case. So I spent a lot of time saying, no, 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 plastics are bad and this happens and they're toxic and they don't break down. They break up into small pieces, microplastics, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and yeah, 
And then I, I started saying, wait a minute, I've been just saying no for a number of years here. How can I say yes? Yes to something new, right? How can we embrace the, the creative? And I realized that honestly, a lot of businesses and organizations wanted to reduce their single use plastic footprint, but they honestly had no clue how to do it. One of the things is there was no metrics. There's no plastic footprint calculators out there. Uh, people have no idea how much single use plastics they're using. You know, if you add them all together, then you have data. Um, but also they didn't know what the alternatives or the solutions would be and how much they would cost. So there's no business intelligence for an organization. They don't know if they're getting themselves into costs or into savings. Hmm. So that's where Super came, came about. You know, it's a footprint calculator that gives businesses immediate knowledge of their actual plastic footprint. And plastic has a huge water footprint and greenhouse gas emission footprint and energy footprint because all this is going to the garbage along with the plastic mm. or the recycling bin, which ends up being the garbage anyway. Um, um, so they're throwing away money and it's a huge environmental impact. They don't know what it is. So we help them calculate their plastic footprint and their ROI, the, the, the savings of the solution. So that already provides them with a lot of uh, in, intelligence. Then we also, providing with guidance on what solutions they can find locally. And we have a certification, a tier certification, which is an actionable pathway. Okay, wow. if you do these things, you're bronze certified or silver or whatever. So uh, one of the clients that I'm the most excited about is the government of the state of Washington, which, you know, it's amazing that um, a government could be visionary and could be bold, but they, they, they proven so far, <laughs> state of Washington. And uh, yeah, and uh, they are, um, we're running a pilot uh, in their offices um, seeking to uh, do single-use plastic elimination or reduction in one of the departments of the state of Washington and then scale this to the, all the offices of the, of the government. Right now, there's a problem is like not, people are not in offices, people are furloughed and all kinds of things, but uh, it's moving forward and hopefully when things when things get um, easier and people start going back to the office they're going to go back to an office which a lot less plastic um, and we're working with other like big names or companies in the service sector as well um, helping them eliminate and reducing the use plastics and now we're transforming some of that to going back to work uh, safely saving money and without ruining the environment because now with COVID you know, somebody's put out the idea, this talking about beliefs and our minds uh, messing with us, right? The idea that somehow reusables are dangerous wow. and you everything has to be disposable and plastic to be safe from COVID, which is ridiculous. So now right now, a little bit of the focus is going in that direction, but not a lot. So we don't, we can stay in the creative and not go and follow the reactive too much. But that's kind of yeah. where we are right now. Yeah, it's a very pessimistic belief. <laughs> that's so not true, right? <laughs> yeah. So for instance, Tim, I can ask you, if if you, if you want to stay safe and you want to eat an apple, and there's an apple wrapped in plastic, imagine, and that such thing, ridiculous that it is, exists. So there's an apple wrapped in plastic, say, in an airport or whatever, or in a house. Cafe. And there's an apple not wrapped in plastic. Which one is better? Which one is safer from a COVID-19 standpoint? They're both safe. They're both safe or unsafe. Depends on who touched it and who handled it. 
Yeah. It's just pure perception. And let me ask you, which one are you more li more likely to wash before you eat? Both. <laughs> Both. Yeah. But a lot of people may get the one that is wrapped in plastic and eat it without washing. And, yeah. You know, so arguably, arguably the one that is not wrapped in plastic is safer. Um, then another example, uh, let's, let's envision... Um, um, three restaurants, restaurant A, restaurant B, and restaurant C. Restaurant A has beautiful, you know, place setting with stainless steel cutlery and nice plates and, and glasses and everything. Um, restaurant B has everything disposable plastics. And restaurant C has everything disposable plastics, but then all these plastics are in individual plastic baggies. You know, like all your cutlery is an in individual plastic baggie. Which place is safer for COVID-19, A, B, or C? Mm, B. All right. Well, let's start by saying which one is the, is the, is the worst. It's C, because when you have a baggie, you have to open the baggie. And if you observe 100 people open ba opening baggies, they all open it differently. And many people open it backwards, and they will touch the part of the cutlery that you're going to put in your mouth. So if, if you had to open packaging, that's the least safe yeah. because it's a, people pay no attention to that. They open it and touch it wherever. So restaurant C is the one that is going to, from an epidemiology standpoint, give you the biggest risk. Wow. Now, between restaurant A and restaurant B, there's absolutely no difference because the same people that are handling the reusables will be handling the disposables, right? So it makes no difference. It's not the material. It's how it is handled, mm. right? So there's no difference. And if you were to pay attention to the material, actually plastic is the material on which the COVID virus lasts longer. It lasts a few hours on metals, but it lasts up, it lasts up to four days on plastics. So see our beliefs, um, are standing in the way of reason and th doing things the way that not only makes sense, saves money, but also protects us. Yeah. No, it's so powerful too, man, because <laughs> you know, you're telling me something I would have never realized. And it makes me even more cautious now as I, as we try to create, recreate what the restaurant of the future would look like post COVID-19. And, you know, and also even thinking about how are we thinking about it from a supply chain perspective in tech, where you have all of these del delivery services people who are using um, plastics if maybe aren't thinking about the circular economy as they should and how are we kind of addressing this issue from a marketplace standpoint with big tech companies you know i want to ask you manuel you know when you talk with people and you educate them around this you know what do you love most about that experience in terms of how people's eyes wide open <laughs> right well that's one of the things that um I like to, I think it's unavoidable for me is to put in everything I do is the kind of the uh, uh, inviting it to think differently. And just because it's been, it's brought so much richness to me, um, to my life, to be able to change the way I thought and the, change my beliefs that it's a little bit embedded in everything I do. My course in circular economy at UC Berkeley is the same. You know, my students, like the most common Feedback they hear is like, thank you. Uh, this this like blew my mind. This challenged everything I um, thought. Um, now I think I have more questions than when I started the course. 
And so I think asking the right questions and is more important than just going around trying to find whatever Google answers or whatever it is that people are seeking these days. Let's Google this. Hey, wait a minute. What question are you asking? <laughs> you know? Let's sit with that, that question for a bit. <laughs> yeah, no, we need more political thinking in the world, man. Man, brother, it was such so lovely having you on. Man, I want to ask you, man, what's one powerful takeaway that you have for our guy community on how they can, one, embrace the super mindset is what I want to call it now. And yeah. really start you know, living this future, man. The the single mindset? The, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. yeah. The, the, the single, the single uh, tip is... Uh, uh, question what you believe mm. and let go of all beliefs. What would the world look like if today we let go, could let go of all our beliefs, all of them? And that's really hard. Our political beliefs, our beliefs about race or gender, all of them, it's just erase the whole board and try to envision a world that works for everybody. What would that look like? I think it's that world of possibilities and uh, is where a lot of the uh, a lot of the new is going to be created. It's not in reactive to what it is right now. That's just a spiral. It's a waste of time. Yeah. In times like this, it's uh, called for our creativity. So question your beliefs, ditch them all, and ask yourself, what is the optimal world I want to see? And then try to land that in something, one small thing you could do. And that usually brings a new kind of change in people. Mm. Love that so much, brother. Want to give love to the amazing Sarah Rogers, who is a weekly, daily fan. Sarah, we appreciate you and we love you so much. I have seen customers covering every single item in a bag. Many customers have no concept of how the items make their way to the shelf and have a false perception that things are clean before they themselves touch it. Do you think that supply chains are elusive to customers or do you think that consumers are encouraged to not ask questions? Mm, yeah, well, there's a lot of disempowerment of all of us uh, that we need to fight. And in the case of plastic, just think about it. Uh, right now, babies are being born in a hospital somewhere around you. It is very likely that the first thing they're going to touch as they come into the world is plastic. Hmm. Their toys, the, even sometimes their nourishment is going to come through plastic. So it's embedded in our subconscious that plastic is somehow safe. Toys are, uh, it's something infantile, puerile uh, about plastic. And we really feel safe around plastics and it's very subconscious and goes deep. And um, yeah, and we need to think again and take that programming out and also get empowered to ask questions and think outside of the box. Mm. Yeah. That's a great question. That's a great question. And the second mm -hmm. part of the question was, do you think that there are things in a store that can be done to invite customers to change their mindset about their own consumption methods and methods? In a store? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, every time you provide an experience that is better and nicer and has no plastic, you're educating people, mm. you know? And there's stores like right now in the community where, where I live, um, uh, the, the food co-op here has refused to go along with all this paranoia. And, you know, yeah, you have to wear a mask and all that, but the bulk bins are available, you know, and things in bulk are better and they're cheaper. 
and you, there's a huge diversity, so you can try, test new things. Um, I think it, building it into the experience, making it a whole new experience for the consumer. Uh, consumer, I hate that word, by the way. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> I always, because I work in economics, I have to use it, but I, I just don't like it. I, I prefer citizens. So citizens, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, every time you are making that available, an option, you're educating. Mm. Yeah, Love you are that. educated. Love that. Manuel, man, it's truly been an honor having you on the show, brother. Man, so thank you so much for all the things that you do for the circular economy and more importantly, leading the movement that you're leading, man, because, you know, I think the, the world needs the change that you're creating. And what's crazy is the fact that right now is the perfect time to embrace super, you know, in, in, the, in the brand that you're building, the movement that you're building is changing the world, brother. So thank you so much, man, for, for joining us. Thank you, Tim. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for bringing a little bit of Oakland and Kanye West. Also. <laughs> I was, I was, that made my day. <laughs> All right, man. We are going to cap you out. All right. Of sweet soul, chill out. Shout out to Daniel Caesar, Manuel, man. Talk to you soon, brother. Peace. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next guest is a super really cool guy that I love. More importantly, I love their company and their product. Dennis Mortensen is actually the CEO of X.AI, X.AI, which is this amazing AI scheduling tool that I use every single day. But more importantly, he's a phenomenal guy building the future of work. And he's going to share a little bit more about his company, why they're leading the future of work, and what the future of work looks like from a productivity standpoint. Make sure you go check out Mr. 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 Dennis Mortensen. I'm going to have him shortly. But while you wait, please enjoy the music, chill out, let us know what you think.
He's such a wonderful leader, and he's building a world-changing company in X.AI. And I hope you check them out. Dennis Mortensen is the CEO of X.AI, a product I use every single day that saves my life every single day. And I'm super excited to dive deep with him on the future of work, leadership, as well as how his company has adapted post-COVID-19 and during COVID-19 as well. With that said, Oakland, wherever you're listening in the world, let us know in the comments and show love to Dennis. Dennis, what's up, buddy? Hey, I'm a beginning business. <laughs> How you doing, my friend? I'm having my whole sauce soup. I think you got to check the sound a little bit, man. You sound like Darth Vader. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How's the award you want me to? Yeah, I think it's the mic, my friend. E, let's see. Technical hiccups happen every day. Okay, Mike, testing one, two, three. Am I better? It's awesome. It's perfect, my friend. <laughs> You and me should have uh, spent the uh, 13 seconds in doing some tech due diligence before we started. Right? The tech never works when you're alive. <laughs> How are you, my friend? How's everything going? I'm good. I'm actually uh, super chuffed. And I'm yeah. saying that with the utmost respect for what have happened to plenty of people down the street who spent decades building a business for only to see it disappear overnight or somebody kind of further up Manhattan, struggling to kind of pay rent. But at this very moment, certainly uh, for our little firm, uh, it's been very much up and to the right. Good, good, man. Good, that's positive. You know, we'd love yeah. to hear a little bit about, you know, how long you've been building X.AI and the journey thus far, because it's been a company that's been around for quite some time, actually. So here's the funny thing, and I'm sure any entrepreneur listening in will be easy to agree whenever you start anything new it feels like you're late to the party i saying <laughs> why am i even going it's about to end soon however you are always always way too early so whatever you think is too late it's way too early so when we brought the band back together first days of 2014 suggesting that we've been now doing this for about five years yeah. it felt like we're kind of in the middle, but hmm. if you really look at it now, we're probably just about to get started on the beginning, meaning setting up a meeting using software hmm. is just about to be normal enough for where you're not an idiot if you share a link in an email or use an agent to kind of help you set it up. But if you go back just a few years, it was not normal, but it's becoming normal. Kind of like... Uh, 
you and me probably signed all our contracts in pen and paper five years ago. Then we blink. I haven't signed anything in pen and paper over the last couple of years. We all just signed up for EchoSign or DocuSign or something like that. And we certainly seem to be very much on a similar wave for where if we blink, look a couple of years into the future, not having some sort of meeting scheduling attached to your stack would seem eccentric. Yeah. No. And, and I know I'm obviously biased here. So <laughs> when, I, when I tell you a version of the future, it's a version I want to happen. Yeah. That doesn't mean that it will happen. But, yeah. but I'm not sure I'm, uh, I'm not entirely crazy. I don't think you're entirely crazy because I love your product and I think, you know, every enterprise needs the product. And I think, you know, it's funny because what you're saying that it's true, you know, in an entrepreneurial journey, you think often you're late to the party, but you're quite early. And I want you to share a little bit about how COVID-19 as one, not only caused the business to go up to the right, but where do you see, you know, workplace productivity going given the shifts that we're seeing currently in the marketplace? There used to be when we all walked into the office, yeah. or most of us walked into the office, a picture of a productive employee, mm. which was just somebody who turned up somewhat on time, mm. walked around, said hi and hello, patted a few people on the back, cracked a good joke, didn't leave too early, but stay around to about six o'clock, pick one late night, and then all of a sudden that particular employee or teammate was solid. But if you really want to cheat, uh, all you need to do is just turn up. Now, in this new, everybody's remote setting, the only way you can create a positive picture of yourself is by delivering. As in, there's no credit for turning up because people can't see you turning up. You're still in your bedroom. As in, <laughs> your performance is what you push to production. And if you don't do anything, well, come Friday, or come next one-on-one, -on -one, we'll have a look at, yeah, but I've been working super hard. Perhaps, but you haven't produced anything. So what I do like about this new setting is that any, pick any kind of dimension for where some teammates were potentially handicapped before, say introverts, who are just not uh, like you, Tim. You know, a little bit loud, super smiley, very yeah. positive, find it easy to just kind of walk around the office. That's just not easy for everybody. Mm. But they now start to shine because come every Friday demo day, they got shit to show. Yeah. And that have almost kind of flipped many organizations for where those we didn't kind of see before, we see very visibly now. Yeah. That I like. That I think is super fair. Yeah. And I think you're speaking to the uh, results outcome, you know, a results oriented work environment too. And I think what I, one of the things I love about this shift as well is that it levels the playing field for if you're an employee and also if you're an enterprise and how do you want to create culture now, right? Everyone's at home. How are you really showing up and being of service to your people? And I want you to share, because, you know, I love X.AI's culture. I've, I've, you know, I've been talking with you guys uh, for quite some time, your VP of growth. And there's a lot of unique things that you guys are doing within the culture to really foster uh, a very results-oriented work environment. I would love for you to share a little bit about, you know, about that. So very early on, yeah. I took it upon me to write a pledge and I encourage people to go have a look, <laughs> uh, not to uh, you know, buy our product or anything, but just as a backdrop for what would that look like in your setting. So it's on x.ai slash pledge. And what it is, is really just a backdrop of 
who we would like to work with, what it is we're trying to solve here. And it's not long. It's half a page, centered, poem style, and it speaks to concepts like us looking for people who are comfortable in the dark. And already now, I can imagine people tuning out as in Dennis. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> people who are comfortable in the dark? Are you seven? No, hear me out. What it really is, is some try of us creating a picture in words of what would a successful new teammate mm. look like? And that doesn't come through, say, in some sort of half hour on the phone, hour on Zoom, to mm. work on the whiteboard. No, it is you trying to understand who we are and what we stand for. And that particular pledge is a good beginning for where you can immediately say, what they believe in, I'm not so sure I believe in. Or what they believe in, I barely understand. Or mm. the things they talk about seems significant to them, but insignificant to me. So mm. all the best of luck to them, but I'm going to go somewhere else. Or, or that's exactly what I'm looking for. That, as in, it, it, there's something that clicked here. I need to get in touch with them. I'll, I'll do anything. I said, we just need to talk, Dennis. And in the beginning, that worked very well as a kind of filter or kind of qualification for should we even talk? Now, that's just the beginning. And I think anybody should try to find very strong filters so mm. that you have people who can immediately say, that's not for me. Not necessarily in a negative sense. doesn't need to be you going out and creating haters. It's just one for where that's not really for me or that is very much for me. And you need to be really kind of distinct and unique about that. Now, once that uh, filter is being applied, you end mm -hmm. up with a much, much smaller group. That smaller group, you obviously need to kind of figure out how do we best work together? There's plenty of things you can do to go establish a culture. Yeah. But sometimes it is rooted in a set of uh, activities. Mm. And it's sometimes not even the activities themselves. It's what they stand for. I'll just pick a few here that uh, we use. So every Friday at uh, 5 p.m. Uh, it's not just that it's uh, Friday. It's that we want it to be a little late. Mm. Not because we're about working 80 hours a week, but it's one for where if you can't apply even the smallest of sacrifice to what should to you and us be one of the most exciting moments of the week, we're going to be a, a little bit in disconnect. So on Fridays at 5 on Demo Day, everybody turns up with something to show. Yeah. Almost like third grade show and tell. Yeah. <laughs> and, I love that. And it's, uh, and it's not something kind of Oh, here's the grand uh, seven-slide deck for what we're going to push to market come yeah. mid-August. No, no, no. It's just Joe who's done a new selector on the meeting create screen or Marcus who've tuned a template that goes out from Amy. So it's a little bit easier to understand. Kind of two, three-minute demos. Many will have three or four things they want to show, but show and tell. Not uh, strategy, marketing, what yeah. should we do here? It's not an all hands. It's a demo day. And yeah. that is something that we've had, not just in this company, but in prior uh, ventures as well. Yeah. And it worked uh, very well. It creates 
kind of just uh, shared excitement sure. and mm. an idea of we're all in this together and a picture of we're a place for where we care about the details, as in we'll carve out time for you to show something for two and a half minutes to the remainder of the full team yeah. because they also care. As in, you know what? We actually uh, changed the uh, style guide so that warnings are not ash yellow. They're a little bit softer now. And I'm going to yeah. show you a couple of examples. And people will say, well, are you allowing people to present that to the whole team? Yeah. We are. <laughs> and it's that kind of change in tone of that particular yellow that creates that kind of yeah. news kind of social setting or that fabric of extra AI. Yeah. No, and it's that it's a meticulous care for the craft and what you all are doing and what you're in the movement that you all are building. And I think, you know, for similar to you all, it's so funny because we actually have the same practice within Guide. <laughs> Literally Friday, demo day, every single week. And it's it's a powerful practice, and I love it. And I think a lot more leaders should take it up, um, take take that take that mantle, and actually create a pledge because it's a powerful way to you as a leader say, okay, this is what we stand for as a company, and this is what makes us collectively powerful. You know, I would love to ask you, Dennis. You know, what have been some leadership books, or even maybe leaders that have inspired you to kind of like mold your leadership philosophy? That's a really good question. I'm not sure there's one particular mm. leader that I've tried to kind of replicate. And I'm not even sure that is healthy. Yeah. It doesn't mean that there's not uh, plenty of people because there is, that's way better than I am. Yeah. But you trying to become somebody else, is mm. probably not a good recipe. You trying to find uh, moments or processes or platforms you can adapt from others. I think that's splendid. Mm. I'll pick three here, uh, perhaps mostly because they won't be on your usual list. Yeah. So I could uh, pick the usual suspects and you would say, oh, huh? mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah, we know okay. that. <laughs> yeah, I like them as well because we all like them. But uh, let's, let's pick somebody else. I will put Felix Dennis, mm. who was the... Uh, kind of creator of a whole host of magazines uh, back in England. He was also the creator of uh, Maxim, uh, the kind of boys magazine as well, but really made his fortune on kind of PC magazine and what have you uh, decades back. He was mostly an awful person and he agreed himself. So it's not something for where I've looked at him for years and come to kind of conclude that he's not a good human being. So he <laughs> accepted the fact that he was not, but way late in life, tried to kind of change and uh, suddenly took a detour there. But he wrote a book called The Narrow Road. And again, the book is rude and obnoxious uh, throughout. Uh, it starts out on first few pages, as far as I remember, in just describing what particular cast I'm in. And mm. uh, I think... Two to $10 million in wealth is what he calls comfortably poor. And just to kind of make sure you understand why we're reading this. And it's just a generally a rude and obnoxious lot, but he makes one point uh, many times in between the lines, but really as this, the sole conclusion of the book, as I read it, which is if 
you care about what you work on, and it is not for you to just exit. You should really cherish your equity. You should never surrender a share unless you think that is the best thing in the world you can do. Mm-hmm. And we've grown up in a different culture. You and I, the kind of twenty-first century VC culture, for where before you know it, you've lost thirty-five percent. You blink again, you lose another twenty percent. You blink again, here goes another twenty. As in, equity uh, can quickly disappear from the cap table. And what used to be your company is now really just you being employed, but you're the one who started it. Yeah. And uh, many times there's a good argument for that particular trajectory, but sometimes that is not the case. So that I like. That I certainly picked up on, which is that I try not to surrender any of my own equity unless I really think that is the by far best thing to do at this very moment in time. So that I like. Here's another one, uh, and perhaps he's somewhat on a lot of people's list, but Phil Knight from Phil Knight, oh yeah, shoot Nike, <laughs> yeah. So if you know you read, that guy. <laughs> yeah, and, and you probably read the book as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the book is awesome. It's kind of a uh, you read it in one sitting, and you can read it probably in two ways. You can read it just as a story because it, it's an awesome story, right? As in, there's a hundred reasons for why Nike shouldn't exist, and he's been very willing to describe most of them. And I'm surprised that they are alive today because he either didn't really apply the effort, didn't really care, wanted to do many other things, but somehow uh, the company in its own will overcame all of that. But come the very end of the book, perhaps the last five pages, but not more than that, if you remember, he do touch upon or allude to the fact given... uh, one of his uh, children died, that it might not have been worth it. As in, the 40 years spent dedicating all your waking hours and your attention to your company and not your family is a trade that seemed right at the moment, but in hindsight, perhaps a little bit dubious. Yeah. So those five pages, that's another way to kind of read that book, which is if you start on anything, you should probably make sure that your priorities are right. That yeah. forever and in the end, it's really just about ending up with a good set of stories around a set of people who you love and who love you. And whether you make $10 or $40, probably doesn't matter. Mm. I said, who gives a shit? I said, I don't even know what car Tim's drive, or if you have a car, or if you got 10 million in the bank, or more, or less, it just doesn't matter. Tim's an awesome guy, right? That's all I need to know. So that's an interesting book, and you should try to read it for the story, but then read the last five pages so that when you embark on this journey, hey, you know what? I think I now might be in the midst of uh, twisting my priorities. Now, then the last one I'll add to this uh, is uh, Mike Tyson. Uh, if you go read his book, uh, which is, you read it, and 
as surprised as we are of Nike existing as a company, we should be equally surprised that Mike Tyson is alive, yeah. given all of the obstacles <laughs> that was put in front of him. As in, I am just uh, baffled he didn't yeah. die along the way. Yeah. But if you read the book, you can read it again in two ways. You can read it for the story itself. And that is one hell of a story. Uh, yeah. But it's also, and this is mostly between the lines. Uh, he, will, uh, he will say it in a few places. A story for where they take a 13-year-old boy out of school and drive upstate and train him. Every single day, seven days a week. And as that uh, experiment then succeeds, and he goes on to earn literally in the hundreds of millions of dollars as a single individual, what you should read between the lines is, how do you know who you can trust? Because mm -hmm. that whole book is just a book of people trying to take advantage of a boy who didn't not even finished school. He barely got started on school, but they just took him out and put him in a gym and he turned into what we saw him turn into. That is uh, in one part, certainly a sad story and uh, an exciting story on, on the other hand, but certainly a story of every single individual in that book, as you kind of read it, is trying to take advantage of this boy and it just hurts you. And I've certainly tried because that is true in life, uh, however kind of excited we might be, there are people who will try to take advantage of you and you should try to figure out who they are and how they're trying to take advantage. That could be uh, on tiny things like, you know, steal your time or steal mm -hmm. your enthusiasm or you know, do a deal for where you did, ended up on the kind of uh, sad end of that deal. Right. Yep. So just uh, those three, I think I would add to the list because they're not normal uh, or not on your usual li list of suspects. Yeah, and I think it's, it's so powerful that you shared that because you're giving one a very diverse perspective. And I'm definitely going to – I actually have not read the Mike, Tyson, Mike Tyson's um, autobiography, but it's so true. And, and I think you know often you see it a lot in venture capital and entrepreneurship and private equity where a lot of companies, a lot of founders – entrepreneurs, especially when you're early in the game and you've never really built something, they get taken advantage of because they see the opportunity, but they don't understand where they have leverage in terms of their business. Yep. And it's, uh, it is in many places. Uh, I'm generally just a optimistic guy who tries to see the yeah. best in most people. Same. But, <laughs> but, uh, that shouldn't uh, disallow us from being uh, skeptical or just open our eyes and try to kind of see the situation for what it is. Mm -hmm. Powerful. Dennis, man, it was truly honored having you on the show, man. I would love for you to, what's one powerful takeaway that you have for our God community, especially given the changes in the world? And, you know, for you, you're a super entrepreneur building one of the world changing company right now. You know, there's a whole bunch of problem spaces that entrepreneurs can solve for and leaders can solve for. What is one for you and what's one powerful takeaway for our community to kind of lead them in their movement? So if you are tens, if not hundreds of employees, hmm. your time and what you spend it on becomes almost uh, less and less important. It comes down to a few decisions on yeah. where you take it, a few strategic decisions, as in, do we 
attack China? Do we acquire, <laughs> do we acquire from a product point of view? Yeah. <laughs> uh, do we acquire that company? Do we uh, you know, take on new capital? A few decisions for where if they're right, the whole thing will turn out well. If they're wrong, you will die. But it's not really about whether you spend 40 or 80 hours. Now, in the beginning, which I find to be the most romantic part of the startup journey, your time matters because you're three guys in a basement or you're even just a solo entrepreneur trying to hack something together over the weekend. You haven't even quit your job yet. Mm. Your time matters because you might just have 22 hours a week for your side gig or you might have 80 hours a week for your full venture mm. and you have really six months to give it in savings. So your time matters. And if your time matters and you know, I'll, I'll sell my product, but you know, forget about that. You need, to, <laughs> you need to find a little stack of tools mm. that can really help you. So how do you manage your inbox? How do you manage your calendar? Mm. How do you conduct your meetings? Where do you take your notes? Where do you store your documents? How and which keywords are applied to them? How do you share these particular documents? As in, you need to put systems in place. Doesn't matter whether you use X.AI to kind of manage your calendar or use another system. It's just the fact that if you have no systems in place, then all of a sudden you might just be uh, wasting uh, a third of your time on something that could have been either automated or better managed. So, so that is certainly something where I'll encourage people to at least take a step back and say, so today of all the things I did, what type of process did I apply to that? Or was just one for where I ran kind of just wild as fast as I could? Because you yeah. could probably do that better then. And I think it's uh, certainly important when you're the uh, one, two, three, four, five M band. Yeah, yeah. Love that. Love that. That's so powerful. Man. And it also helps with your own mental health and, <laughs> and how you can be more effective in what you're building and your leadership. So I'm doing these, uh, yeah. I, I run Inbox Zero, uh, which most people think is completely kind of silly. Why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense, Dennis. As in, don't you have other things to do? Inbox Zero for me is not about getting to zero. It's about creating enough kind of space in my mind to think about other things. So I know when I turn up for a chat with Tim, I had three emails in my inbox. I don't have to think about any other thing than just listen to Tim. I said, that, that, that is the kind of freedom that that creates. So I'm a huge fan of just doing that. You'll have other things that you'll be a fan of, but just really turn that into a process. Man, powerful. Dennis, man, it's, true, it's truly been a pleasure having you on. Thank you for your energy and your enthusiasm and all of your amazing leadership. You know, we wish X.AI well in your movement, man. And we are thankful to be a part of your movement, my brother. <laughs> Cheers, mate. This was fun, as always. Thank you, man. Talk to you soon, brother. <laughs> Man, you just heard two amazing guests, but I want to leave you all out and play a little bit of Maxwell because that is my guy. Let's check him out. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things I love about Dennis's thoughts on leadership and more importantly, you know, Manuel's thoughts on where we're moving in the future is how important it is for us to have that direction 
and actually take control of, you know, how we're creating systems in place for our lives and actually thinking more critically about what we're building and where we're going. And I think it's a really, really powerful concept. So definitely make sure you check out Manuel and check out Dennis Mortensen. Please, they are leading amazing movements and building the future and living the future in everything that they're doing. And we have shared links in our comments on where you can follow them, where you can learn more about what they're building. And more importantly, be a part of their movement. And we appreciate you all for definitely joining us on this live episode of the B2B live jam session by guide. You know, we have something really special actually happening later on today. We actually, I'm sorry, not even today, later on tomorrow, we're going to be interviewing the CEO of Lately, Lately AI on Guide Live. And we're incredibly excited to have her on Guide Live. She's super, super awesome. Definitely make sure you check out Lately AI. They are amazing at the movement that they're building. And it's essentially social media on steroids. So check them out. With that said, if you have any thoughts on future guests that we should have on our platform, please let us know. We love to definitely elevate people who are leading their movements. And if you have any ideas on people who are doing just that, and it could be you, please reach out to us. Check out utfow.com, 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 and join us in our movement. And more importantly, sponsor. <laughs> With that said, thank y'all so much for tuning in. I'm going to leave y'all with shout out to Oakland, shout out to LA, shout out to everyone who's tuning in internationally. I'm going to leave you with this really interesting jam by the late, not the late, I'm sorry, the amazing Anna Wise and Little Sims. Let me know what you think about it. Much love.